Rembrandt perhaps intuited that the lesson of the tale is that as with the letters, so too historical events can be read in two ways, regularly or top-down. We can see them from a human perspective as something occurring on our level, or we can understand them from a top-down perspective, meaning to see them as directed from heaven by God Almighty. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 272, Rembrandt's Belshazzar's Feast. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Having virtually visited the Pergamon Museum in yesterday's talk, we return today to one of the most wonderful collections of art in the world, London's National Gallery. There, one room, one incredible room, contains a collection of Rembrandts. And among these Rembrandts is a scene from the Hebrew Bible. But it is also much more than that. It is, perhaps, the first painting in the history of Western art to deliberately incorporate a Talmudic interpretation. And this is evidence not only to a connection between painter and rabbi, but also to an understanding of history that lies at the heart of the book of Daniel and rightly understood at the heart of the entire Bible. The book of Daniel describes how Belshazzar, descendant of Nebuchadnezzar and the last king of his empire, hosts a lavish feast. As part of the celebration of his might, Belshazzar has the sacred vessels that were taken from the temple by Nebuchadnezzar paraded before the banquet crowd. Chapter 5, verse 3. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the lamp upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. This story is, of course, the source of the phrase, the writing was on the wall. Of course, in popular parlance, it refers to a fate that is obviously understood. Here, however, the opposite is the case. A hand had been seen, letters had been written, but no sense of the letters could be made. Then, in another parallel to the Joseph story, Daniel is brought forward, and it is he who is able to read the message. And he sternly informs Belshazzar, verse 25. And this is the writing that was written, Mine, Mine, Takelu Farsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mine, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Takel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, the kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Mene Mene Takelu Farsin. Mene in Aramaic is a parallel to the Hebrew Mone. It refers to counting, a sign that Babylon's days are numbered. Takel, the word signifying that Belshazzar has been weighed in the balance and found wanting, is God's way of expressing displeasure with how Belshazzar showed a lack of reverence for the vessels of the temple of the one true God. Ufarsin, this, like many biblical predictions, is a prophetic pun. Literally, it means that Belshazzar's kingdom will be parted torn asunder. But the turn of phrase also signifies that it will be paras, Persia, 
kingdom of Darius and Cyrus that will bring this about. This is the story in Daniel. Yet to one with even minimal knowledge of biblical Hebrew, there's an obvious enigma to the story. The message written by the heavenly hand, Mene Mene, Takelo Farsin, is not composed in Hebrew. In fact, it is in Aramaic, the language spoken by the Babylonians, the language in which much of the book of Daniel itself is written. Why then does the biblical book inform us that no one except Daniel could make heads or tails of this divine declaration? Could not have Belshazzar easily understood the miraculously written words, or at least have read them? On this, the text offers us no clues whatsoever, but it is a question that interests the Talmud, and several answers are offered there. One suggestion is that the message was written in Atbash, a traditional code in which the first letter of the Aleph Bet is replaced by the last, the second by the penultimate, and so forth. But another suggestion offered by the Talmud, as interpreted by some scholars, is that the letters were arranged in a way that they were meant to be read vertically rather than horizontally. Thus, the letters arranged as Rembrandt has them in his painting give us, when read from top to bottom, column after column, mene mene takelo farsin. But Belshazzar, in his confusion, had read the words in the usual right-to-left manner, rendering it mamtus nankafe aralan, which is utterly incoherent. That is why they were originally flummoxed. But that is also why, as is clear from the biblical text, the court of the Babylonian king, upon hearing Daniel's interpretation, is utterly convinced that he has cracked the code. Rembrandt, in other words, has given us one version of a Talmudic interpretation. But from where in the world did Rembrandt learn this? As scholars have pointed out, there is really only one possible source, Rabbi Menashe ben Israel, one of the rabbis of the Portuguese Jewish community, who was, as we've discussed this week through his publications, the most famous rabbi in the non-Jewish world in the 17th century. Some years before this painting was created, Menashe published a book in which he discussed the biblical story of Belshazzar and therein offered only the horizontal-vertical explanation of the Talmud and no other. Thus it was the Sephardic rabbi who gave Rembrandt this explanation. And thus, as many, including Stephen Nadler's book Rembrandt's Jews, explain, did a Talmudic midrash end up in a Gentile artist painting that hangs today in the British Museum. And fascinatingly, ladies and gentlemen, if you look at the painting carefully, you will see one mistake. Rembrandt has placed the letter Zion as the last one in the series, rather than the letter Nun, so that instead of Mene Mene Takel Ufarsin, we are given Mene Mene Takel Ufarsiz. What happened here? Scholars, including Michael Zell, have pointed out that X-rays reveal how originally Rembrandt had placed a Nun there, a complete Nun, so that it read Ufarsin, which is the correct word. But then he decided to change the painting and depict the letter still in the process of being written by the heavenly hand. And at this point, perhaps lacking whatever original guidance he had, he made a slight mistake, one which testifies to his own interest in creating a sense of drama in the painting. All this is interesting enough. And what I've said thus far is what I usually describe when I take students to the National Gallery and show them Rembrandt's Talmudically inspired work of art. But there remains more to be said about this remarkable painting. When we compare Rembrandt's depiction of the Belshazzar story with those created by other artists, we can note that by and large, only Rembrandt took great pains to actually get the original letters on that palace wall. At around the same time as Rembrandt, an Italian Baroque artist by the name of Mattia Preti painted the same scene and chose merely to show the assembled banqueters of Belshazzar to be seen staring off into the distance without any visible script whatsoever. We've sent you a link to another version 
of the story from 200 years later by the 19th century British artist John Martin. I quite like this version. Martin gives us a grand scene, and you can on the right discern the menorah that has been brought out by the Babylonian king. But all the way on the left, Martin also gives us a form of heavenly writing. But unlike Rembrandt, he took no pains to seek out letters that spell out the words of the Jewish biblical story and instead merely made up symbols that have no meaning whatsoever. Rembrandt and only Rembrandt seem to take a great deal of care to truly depicting the story as accurately as possible. Why was this so important? And if Rembrandt truly did care so much about the Aleph Bet, why not merely ask Menasha how to write regularly Mene Mene Takelu Farsin? Why was it so important to highlight this Talmudic interpretation? Why was Rembrandt so taken with it? The answer, perhaps, is that Rembrandt, upon learning of this interesting explanation, understood that it was not merely an exegetical approach, but rather that it cut to the heart of the story itself. In the Talmudic reading taken from Menasha, which Rembrandt gives us, there are two ways to read a set of words, horizontally and vertically. We can read it as we read regularly, or we can approach the letters from a top-down perspective. Here, the words are also commenting on the images, on the events. Rembrandt perhaps intuited that the lesson of the tale is that as with the letters, so too historical events can be read in two ways, regularly or top-down. We can see them from a human perspective as something occurring on our level, or we can understand them from a top-down perspective, meaning to see them as directed from heaven by God Almighty. This is precisely what Belshazzar did not understand. As we saw yesterday, Nebuchadnezzar had been punished by God for his arrogance. And now, in interpreting the writing on the wall, Daniel informs King Belshazzar that he, Belshazzar, should have learned from the punishments given to his predecessor. And that Belshazzar should have learned that the story of the Jews in the world is the surest sign of a divine hand in history. Instead, in defiling the temple vessels, in denying the Jewish link to Jerusalem, and engaging in self-aggrandizement, Belshazzar arrogantly ascribed all of Babel's achievements to his throne, as Daniel himself tells the king. But hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. So Daniel says to Belshazzar, the king saw events from his own perspective. He read them horizontally, but he failed to attempt to read events vertically. But it was vertically through the guidance of providence that Belshazzar himself would meet his undoing, as Daniel's interpretation of the writing on the wall was immediately fulfilled. Verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Thus did Persia and Media conquer the Babylonian Empire, exactly as Daniel had foreseen. We need to see history not only horizontally, but also vertically. Rembrandt reminds us that Belshazzar's failure to do so was the reason why he himself fell. The throne will soon pass to Cyrus, who in his best moments will seem to understand that he is playing a role in a providential plan that is much larger than himself. He will help the Jews return to their land and rebuild their temple. In studying Jewish history, we learn to see our story from a vertical perspective. 
to see the hand of God therein. And to be reminded to adopt this perspective, we need only enter one room in the National Gallery and study one painting of Rembrandt. Or if you will, we need only read his writing on the wall. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.